Welcome to Highly Sensitive, Happily Married, the podcast that teaches you to not only have an easier marriage as a sensitive woman, but to have one that feels more amazing by the day, where you'll hear relatable stories, love advice that works, and coaching on how to have a marriage where feeling upset and disconnected is a thing of the past, and where instead, a sense of loving connection and even fun and lightness is the norm. I'm Hannah Brooks, highly sensitive person, love expert, and marriage coach, and I'm so happy to be on this journey with you. Hello and welcome, my friends. Today, I have a fun and different kind of episode for you with a special expert guest. We are going to talk wacky hormones, PMS, perimenopause, and such, and how they impact our relationships and our lives as highly sensitive people. Because not only do I have personal experience with how detrimentally these times of month and hormones can affect our personal relationships, I certainly have experience with that. Uh, I've definitely seen it lots and lots in my work with my clients. And that certain times of month are when like all the arguments happen, (laughs) all the questioning of the relationship happens, all the feelings of just being so annoyed and irritated with their partner. So I know for some of you, that's, that's a real thing that you experience. And, and for some of you, certainly not necessarily all of you, but for some of you, getting your hormones into a healthier place may be the first work to make your relationship and life better before or while you're embarking on the mental, emotional, and relational work necessary to have a thriving marriage. So I thought I'd bring someone onto the show who can help you understand and work with your hormones if you're having these kinds of experiences so that you can be less moody, so you can feel better, so you can have the whole month be easier on your relationship. So let me introduce Christine McCarroll. She's a functional nutritionist and host of the Bitch Fix podcast. She is an expert at kind of getting out of wacky hormones, getting or getting your wacky hormones back in balance so you can have your mood and energy back. So Welcome, Christine. I'm really so happy to have you on the podcast. Thank you, Hannah. That was a fun introduction. Um, and it's <laughs> fun to be on this side of the mic. So good to be here. Yay. So I know you uh, you have your own backstory as to how you got into this. And um, you do also know a little bit about high sensitivity or a lot bit. So I'm just curious what got you into this, this particular line of work, uh, with hormones and functional medicine. Yeah. So, um, I think a lot of people in, um, in my kind of work get into this from some sort of personal, um, health challenge, um, Mm. Mine actually didn't start with my personal stuff, although that came into play later. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had um, my younger daughter. So I have two girls and my younger daughter, so this was like 10 years ago, was diagnosed with a neurological speech disorder. So mm-hmm. um, it's called apraxia. And it basically meant that her brain and her mouth weren't talking to each other. <laughs> so she knew what she wanted to say, but she was unable to get her words out. Um, mm-hmm. And that diagnosis, um, led me down like a six month 
rabbit hole of trying to figure out how to help my kid. And I went through all of the traditional routes and we started speech therapy and, you know, Mm -hmm. kind of followed what her pediatrician said, but really we weren't getting anywhere. And we also didn't have any information. So no one really told me anything about what to expect other than I talked to other parents online and I'm hearing like, you know, teenage kids who have like three words and that Mm -hmm. just sounded terrible to me. And I just thought there had to be a way for me to help my daughter heal. Um, Mm -hmm. So uh, we, through all of that, uh, that research that I was doing, cause I'm a crazy research lady through all the research <laughs> I was doing, trying to help her. Um, I came up with some nutritional interventions and they were relatively straightforward, but also very high dose, um, for some particular nutrients. And so mm-hmm. then I had to go about the path of finding someone to work with us, which was not easy. Yeah. Um, that's a whole other story in, in itself. <laughs> uh, but her pediatrician didn't want to touch that with a 10 foot pole. I spent months trying to find someone to help us and then finally was able to find someone. And within two weeks of starting uh, my daughter on these nutrients, um, she started talking in like sentences. And she had had like one word, uh, like we had, we, she had like lost words and she got to the point where she had like ba for ball. Like that was where we had gotten in traditional speech therapy. So it was this like ridiculous light (laughs) switch (gasps) moment when her body got what it needed. And I, um, I was stunned and also like, couldn't, it was like, I couldn't unsee Mm. what I saw. And so at that point I decided, you know, this, like understanding what our bodies need um, and how to repair if something isn't being available, you know, it's not available to us. And therefore we're having these signs of dysfunction. Mm. Well, how can we figure out what's going on and then get the body what it needs so it can just restore balance on its own. So I completely changed my line of work. I went back to school. I was like, like, you know, woman on a mission could not Mm -hmm. (laughs) unsee this. Um, And so that's how I got into this, uh, this line of work in general. Um, how I got into hormones and and the the women's yeah. impact on this is that um, while I was going through all this with my daughter, basically I just trashed my own health. Mm. So, and I see this yes. with so many women that I yes. talk to. We put our, <laughs> our families first. Yes, and I was working a forty hour a week job. I had a corporate job and like, you know, manager level. And I uh, was also taking my daughter to all of these speech therapy appointments and then Mm -hmm. like staying up all night doing my research. Right. And so I just tanked myself. Like I flatlined and figuring out like how to crawl myself out of that hole um, and get my own body back on track um, is how I got interested in supporting women and women's health. So it started with my daughter um, and then ended up with me. Wow. What an amazing story. It's really powerful. So, you know, it's interesting as you're talking about tanking too. And it's so true. I see so many women really putting their, their children in particular first, which is amazing. And also what happens so often is exactly what you're talking about is it comes at your own expense, which, you know, if you stay in that tank tanked out place, that's not, um, that's not actually good for your family either. (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, and it's also interesting what I find with highly sensitive women is because things impact us, especially like, um, how do I say that? Like everything has a tendency to affect us even deeper than non-highly sensitive people. It's, mm-hmm. I, I find that it can be common for women, maybe not to go to the, 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 the hugely tanking place that it sounds like you went to, but like go, go closer to that than a lot of yeah. non-highly sensitive people. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So it's interesting to hear your story. And I'm just excited to hear what else you, you're going to share with us because um, that it's not, so you tell me where I'm wrong and we'll get into this, but when we go into those spaces of total burnout, um, well, our stress levels just really super affect our hormones. Oh, of course. Yeah. And of course, all parts of our body mm-hmm. functionality. So, and our, and our, therefore our mood, et cetera. So really interesting. Um, so, and just as sort of like an introductory question to PMS and perimenopause and highly sensitive people, just like I was saying, like everything tends to affect highly sensitive people, especially have you, and again, I don't know if your clients are like, Hey, I'm highly sensitive by the way. Right. <laughs> or your patients. <laughs> um, but maybe you have some sense of, of that, or do you see that with hormones and PMS and perimenopause? Um, that highly sensitive people have, have tend to have more challenges there. Do you have yeah. any thoughts on that? Yeah. So um, I, I think our, like all hormones affect all humans in general, yeah. <laughs> particularly women. Yes. Um, and I think about this as like hormones are like the lens that you see the world through, right? So mm-hmm. it's like, what color glasses are you wearing? Uh, and and mm-hmm. are you wearing the PMS glasses today? <laughs> Yes. Um, and when your hormones are funky, it just makes all of the rest of everything seem worse because that's the lens we're viewing. Yeah. And so if you're extra sensitive, if you're a highly sensitive person and we have that underlying already, and then we put those glasses on, <laughs> it's going to be like that much double- more challenging. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's so good. It's like the double glasses. Cause I'm always talking about like, I call them sometimes f- flossite or I call it flossite, right? Where we're putting on like the puke colored glasses where everything we're just like, just seeing the bad things. Right. Yeah, totally. (laughs) I also call it lizard brain. Right. So, um, so yeah, so have that going on and that tends to be more intense in highly sensitive people and then add the hormonal lenses. Right. It's just like, whoa. And then we're just amplifying (laughs) the entire situation. Yeah. If, if hormones are dysregulated, it's just going to like, it's going to automatically affect mood. Um, again, like it's going to affect mood for anybody, but if yes. you're highly sensitive, it will impact your mood that much more. And then it also usually takes longer to recover, right? Mm-hmm. So then we ha- we have an additional recovery period on top of what was already maybe a challenging situation. Oh, or interesting. Yeah. So like once the hormones sort of shift back to maybe a better, better, more conducive to emotional balance state, Mm-hmm. Then there's still the recovery. Yeah. Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah. But if you're if you're um if you're in greater balance, mm-hmm. then it's also going to be less of a stretch to come back to center, right? So mm-hmm. like if you're out of balance and we are stretching that rubber band to, you know, a really like close to breaking point, harder mm-hmm. to come back to center. But if we have kind of a not that stretched rubber band and we stretch it a little bit, it's not that hard to come back. Yes. Right. So that's where the better that system is regulated, um, the entire endocrine system, which is just your hormone system, the better that's Mm -hmm. regulated, the more resilient you are in general. Yes. Yeah. So do you want to share a little bit about like specifically how, you know, when our hormones are kind of wacky and again, I know that PMS is different from perimenopause. There's as far as I understand it. So you're the expert. So correct me where I'm wrong, but 
you know, obviously PMS is more like for people who have not yet gone through perimenopause, but if, and when we are going through perimenopause, PMS symptoms can be stronger or bigger. Mm -hmm. Um, And then there's other things that come along with perimenopause too. Um, So, I mean, I'm kind of of that age of moving into, or already somewhere in the perimenopausal phase. And um, it's been interesting. (laughs) (laughs) Me too. I feel you. (laughs) Yeah, and it's like very unpredictable. Um, yeah, but so yeah, like if you would just sit, share some like traditional signs mm-hmm. and effects that that tends to have, both like uh, yeah, in all sorts of ways, and on our moods, and then on other aspects of of our lives, mm-hmm. bodies. Yeah. So first, just like I'm gonna kind of like outline where that perimenopause happens because I don't yeah. think everyone is is totally aware. So perimenopause is just the period um, of your life before menopause and menopause is actually a strictly defined uh, period where it's like a line in the sand where you have not had your period for 12 months. Mm -hmm. So once you cross that no period, 12 months, it is literally like a moment. So people think of menopause as a time period, but it's really a moment. Like Mm. it's like, okay, cross this line, no period for 12 months in the time leading up to that. It, that time period could actually be up to 10 years, which most women are not aware of. I'm aware and, of that. And I'm like, oh, no, <laughs> it's a long time. And, and it's almost like I think about it as like reverse puberty, right? I have, mm-hmm. I have my daughters are now 12 and 15. So like mm-hmm. all the hormones in this house, let me just yeah. tell you. Um, <laughs> but it's it's like that happening in reverse. If you remember how you felt when you were going through puberty, I mean, I certainly remember feeling like just like what is happening to my body? Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's kind of like that happening again. But in where pu- uh, puberty might take a couple of years, perimenopause, like I said, up to 10 years. And not everyone experiences it that way. Some women can mm-hmm. have a shorter time period, but the average onset of menopause is 52. Mm-hmm. Um, it can start as early as 45, even some women earlier 40s. Um, if you know when your mom went through menopause, that is typically, it's not an exact science, but we tend to pattern closely after mom that way. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Let's say mom hit menopause a little early, like she was 48. You could mm-hmm. be 38 and already be in this mm-hmm. perimenopause mm-hmm. state where things just start to fluctuate. Um, yeah. So what PMS and perimenopause have in common, um, and I'm just simplifying this to the most yes. simple level, yeah, right? Because there's a lot. <laughs> yes. But to the, totally. At the most simple mm-hmm. level, there's a drop in one of our primary sex hormones, which is progesterone, um, mm-hmm. as really, I think more of, it's like the thing that impacts our mood the most, Mm. right? There's all kinds of hormonal shifts that are happening. Estrogen is dropping, of course, as well in perimenopause. But um, if we think about estrogen and progesterone as our primary female sex hormones, and again, Mm. there's lots of other hormones in our bodies. We also have testosterone, but just like keeping it crazy simple. Um, Estrogen and progesterone are supposed to be in relative balance. Again, I'm going to super simplify, but super simplifying (laughs) estrogen is relatively more like our energetic go-getter mm-hmm. hormone. Um, and progesterone is more like our calming, uh, mm-hmm. relaxing hormone. So what happens, and actually this is just like most women right around 40, um, whether mm-hmm. you're in perimenopause or not, right around 40, mm-hmm. progesterone falls off a cliff. Mm-hmm. Which, and you uh, can kind of feel that, right? Yes, like it's I, like, I, I have felt that. <laughs> So progesterone falls off a cliff. And I just said it is like the calming, relaxing hormone. So what starts happening is we start being more irritable and anxious Mm -hmm. and, Mm -hmm. uh, and bitchy, right? So like Mm -hmm. we have that irritability 
at a higher level because our chill out hormone mm. has fallen off a cliff. Mm. Um, and unfortunately, we do get a, a preview of this <laughs> with PMS because yes. in, in, in our cycling years, relatively speaking, estrogen is higher than progesterone in the first half of your cycle, but like first two weeks ish. Mm-hmm. And you ovulate, then second two weeks ish, mm-hmm. we have a an increase in progesterone. So mm-hmm. what happens right before you get your period is progesterone starts dropping. So progesterone mm-hmm. starts dropping. And then when it really kind of does that same fall off a cliff thing, the day or two before mm-hmm. your cycle starts that we get that, then we start our bleeds, right? But yeah. um, if you are, you know, really PMSy, you're probably dropping progesterone a lot or your estrogen is high relative to progesterone. So gotcha. in either yep. case, if we're talking about PMS or if we are talking about perimenopause, mm. our chill out hormone mm. is not really helping us in that uh-huh. time. So we're, we're losing the impact of our yes. chill out hormone. Hey, wow. So obviously like the impact on our mood is clear, right? Mm-hmm. It, and what else? Like, I know for me, I, and I, from a lot of my friends who are my age, sleep becomes harder. Yeah. Uh, like I've gone through phases during this time of my life where I'm awake for like an hour or two in the middle of the night. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes it's like more anxious, like, right. There's more like, um, catastrophic thinking about my children specifically yep. <laughs> in the middle of the night. Right. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, what else do people experience? Yeah. So though the, the sleep is one of the, uh, the biggest things, um, certainly just sense of like well-being and mood, yeah. um, are, are altered. So, yeah. um, looking kind of one level deeper into what's happening in our brains. Um, first mm-hmm. of all, we have receptors for estrogen, progesterone throughout the body, including the brain. Mm-hmm. Um, so, with progesterone specifically, um, we have this metabolite, which is just basically like when we metabolize, when our body uses and, and uses up progesterone, we get this metabolite called allopregnenolone. Mm-hmm. Um, and what that is, is it's a, um, it's called an agonist, which means it just like binds to receptors for a neurotransmitter called GABA in our brains. Mm-hmm. And the, the, um, GABA is the main, um, neurotransmitter that's inhibitory, meaning that calms us down. It promotes sleep in particular. Uh, It mm. promotes calmness. It promotes good mood. Mm -hmm. And so there's this link um, between when progesterone goes down that we start to have uh, lower functioning of GABA. So whether or not it changes in amount, we get Mm -hmm. lowered function. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the downstream effect of that is more anxiety um, typically mm. some women experience more depression, but I would yep. say yep. And, and all my clients, I typically see anxiety or anxious mood yeah. or um, sleep issues. Um, and then the other thing that can happen is everything's in balance in our bodies, right? So I was just mm. talking about estrogen, progesterone. Those are kind of supposed to be in a balanced relationship. Um, GABA, again, thinking about neurotransmitters, which are just you know regulators of, of chemical signaling in mm. our brain. Um, if GABA is lower, it can allow other neurotransmitters that are more of the like excitatory ones to come up. So we can have, mm-hmm. we can have again, anxiety, other mood stuff, um, mm-hmm. more sleep, kind of like all of that, just like feeling like I almost think about it as like a, you know, like a wound up, um, 
Yes. Oil, right? Yes. Um, because all of the things, you know, transmitter wise, hormone wise that are supposed to be kind of helping us feel better are just not there. Um, so one of the first things that I always like, I check with women who are starting to go into perimenopause is where your progesterone levels are because mm-hmm. um, progesterone is just, like I said, is the primary thing that starts to go off. And it's yes. one of the easier things actually for us to um, relatively get back into, into balance. Amazing. I'm already learning so much. I feel like I just had you on just for me. <laughs> Like, oh, I mean, I listened, I've listened to your podcast specifically about this. And, uh, but yeah, so good. So amazing to hear. So, and then, like, in terms of, so I'm excited to ask you about like solutions to that and like suggestions you have about that. But before we go there, I'm curious about, you know, in your work with women, do they, do they talk about how this affects things at home and impacts mm-hmm. their relationship? Mm hmm. Yeah. Honestly, like I think relationships are like a primary concern for almost every woman. Right. And I, I always start my work with women asking them, like, why does this matter to you? Because like, why is it important? Because (laughs) if we are, you know, tied to what were our outcomes emotionally, and I'm sure you see this too, and we're tied to our outcomes emotionally, we're more likely to, you know, to work towards what changes. Yes, definitely. Um, And, and ultimately it almost always comes down to relationships. And um, mm-hmm. it's funny, like the way that I came up with the name of, of my podcast the uh-huh. bitch fix, yeah. is because all of these women were coming to me and saying like, I just feel yeah. so bitchy. Totally. <laughs> and <laughs> yes, like, let's unpack that. And they're like, it doesn't like, I don't feel like myself. Yes. I feel like I'm bitchy to my spouse. I'm bitchy to my kids. Um, yes. It's like, I can't get it under control. And so it just hurt it so much. Yes. Like, okay, like I'm just going to call a spade a spade here, right? We're just going to talk about the thing. (laughs) Um, But it was always like, uh, you know what, this is really, it's impacting my relationships. Um, Yes. And exactly. And I think, you know, just biologically, and and I I almost feel like I'm going to, I can get flack for this in the time we live in, but like biologically, (laughs) we're, we're, we are the we're the procreative, like we carry the kids, we raise the kids. Yes. You know, typically. And I think that has just primed us at a mm-hmm. biological level to be really sensitive to our environment and our relationships. Like mm-hmm. yeah. biologically, like, I mean, even I think about like the, you know, going to the beach and mm-hmm. my kid, like I said, my kids are 12 and 15. My husband will be like, Hey, like take a nap. It's fine. Like I absolutely cannot <laughs> freaking take a nap if my kids are playing in the water. Totally. It doesn't matter that it's like they know how to swim and they're like a teenage. Yes. It doesn't matter. Yes. Like my no. mom brain is so yes aware of where my children are. And so I think we're just biologically driven to like manage absolutely. And and we also, I think I'm again like you know, research supports this. Like we are biologically, we are the connectors. And so we are going to be more in tune with what's happening with our spouse, our partner Mm -hmm. as well. And so um, I think that the, the concern about what's happening to the relationships is like the, it's usually the reason I'm talking to somebody like women, they don't like feeling off, but they really don't like feeling like they're off and it's impacting their, their relationships. Yes, absolutely. And I think also it comes out a lot like that irritability specifically gets oriented around 
those closer relationships, the kids, but I find especially, and maybe that's just the lens I look at life through, right? Because that's what I do is I work with the uh, on marriages, but especially with the significant other. Um, and so versus like as much at work, right? Or right. like that you can see, I think a lot of women see it most primarily uh, showing up in their relationship. And like, Again, like I was saying earlier, I call it more lizard brain activities going on, mm-hmm. right? Like more flossite, mm-hmm. more more blame can happen, more judgment of the other person. We can be more easily hurt. We can be more reactive, right? And of course, all that ir- irritability. And I don't know, like one thing I also have noticed is that is for some women, it's like the less, there's less desire to be touched in any okay. way. Mm-hmm. And like I said, more more arguments. And then there's the less sleep thing or the trouble with sleep, which just only exacerbates all of that. <laughs> well, I think I guess being touchy, but when you're touchy, you don't want to be touched. Right. <laughs> um, exactly. like, oh, I'm too sensitive. Um, yeah. But like our, like, so throughout our menstrual cycle, if you're naturally cycling and you're not on like a hormonal um, birth control, yeah. we, we have, um, we have different not only do we experience our relationships differently, other people experience us differently. So mm. um, we are like, there's some fascinating stuff. So like first part of your cycle through about ovulation, um, we are primed for connection in general, mm-hmm. certainly with people of the opposite sex for, yes. um, you know, married women. Um, we are also more attractive to them. So yes. Interesting like things the pheromones like, and yeah. So the pheromones, yeah. but we also like our, this is like wild. Our uh, features are more symmetrical, which makes us look more appealing to everybody. Um, so weird. <laughs> right? <laughs> and this is just, this is like outside of the bounds of like, you know, pretty, not, pr- it's all just like everyone, yeah. all cultures find symmetrical features appealing okay, and we yeah. are more symmetrical the mm. first half of our cycle, super wild. Mm. Um, right around ovulation, like the couple days before we get this big spike in estrogen mm-hmm. And you probably like. I always feel more attracted to my husband at that. Yes, time, for, for sure. sure. Like, hey, babe. Like, yeah. <laughs> my body wants to make babies. I don't want to make any more babies. Right, right. I'm done with that. But like, my body's like, hey, baby making time. Yes, he's gonna look hot, and yeah. I'm gonna look more appealing to him. Oh, totally. Pheromones are coming, so our connection will be better because I'm primed biologically to be making babies. Then, yes, right. Which just gonna like pop in there. Cause I might forget if I don't like, I oftentimes encourage my own self and my clients to lean into this time. Right. Like, Oh yeah. Like, like make That's the most night. of that while it's going <laughs> right. Like, like uh-huh. you can plan your kind of month around that, like, because you want to take advantage while it's there. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, I look at this any, like when I'm doing, like I've held some like live events, you have our, we have our most, uh, energy around that time too. Mm. I had an event like three, four years ago. Um, and it was like going to be like a three day, 12 hour days. And I was like, there is no way I'm doing this anytime, but around ovulation, because yeah. <laughs> I'm just not going to have yes. the energy the rest of the month. Um, and so, yeah. yeah, it just, we have good energy. We are primed for connection, um, particularly with our, our partners. Um, and yeah, it's juicy. That's great. We should take advantage of that. And then unfortunately then, yeah, we get, it's kind of like a sugar roller coaster, right? Like you get the sugar high and then mm. later you're like the bottom drops out. And then, yeah, yeah so the bottom kind of drops out, especially if uh, we're in a state where progesterone's getting lower or we're in estrogen dominance, which I'll, I can define in a second. But mm. if we are in that state, then we are not going to have the balance that we need. And then all of a sudden then, yeah, we're past that 
time. Mm-hmm. Our partner no longer looks attractive yes. and sexy to us. <laughs> we notice all their flaws. Um, we and then of course, you know, it's like a both things. Like we're, mm-hmm. we're probably snipping at them, so they're not mm-hmm. as interested. Yes. And also, like, yeah, we're we're all our love, our pheromones are not quite the height that they were to mm-hmm. buffer any uh any relationship stuff that's coming up. Um yeah. So, yeah. Well, and it's also, I mean, what's sort of segue here? I I don't think like I've done a lot of work on my or I've tried to do a lot of work on my hormones, not super successfully. I have various health issues that are play into all of this for me. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's felt like kind of a little bit of a stuck place for me. But what's fascinating is over the years and doing the work that I do, right? Is like I I help my clients and myself with harder emotions, right? Like how to prevent, how to move through them, how to navigate them in the most peaceful, graceful way, right? By directly working with the mind and the emotions and the nervous system. Um, And one of the, and what's happened over the years is I've gotten so much better at handling those harder months, uh, weeks, not months, (laughs) right? (laughs) Sometimes it feels like months. Um, And it's just like I've watched things get easier and easier between mm-hmm. my husband and I because I have those skills. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's amazing. And so I think I just want to like point that what you were just sharing is really helpful to normalize it for women who um, not to like, yeah, to normalize. I, and I, by that, I don't mean don't try to do anything about it. Right. But like to know, to be able to see, to help us have awareness and to help us know, okay, this is where I'm at. I'm in this second part of my cycle where it's like going to be more likely that I feel this way and that I'm not as attracted to him or that he's not, you're right. That we're snip, more snippy with each other. Mm-hmm. Again, not to say just accept that, like, or what's the word? Um, just tolerate that, but to have some more acceptance around it so that you're not then uh, reacting to it. Like, Oh no, I must hate my husband. He must be the wrong partner for me. Right. Mm -hmm. Or like, yeah, I think that's so important. Yeah. Well, there's not something inherently wrong with either of us, right? There's not something inherently wrong with us because we happen to be cycling. There's not something inherently wrong with him because we're looking at him through a different set of Exactly. <laughs> and even the fact that there might be more reactivity between you, like yeah. I notice, like if I'm a little more snippy with my part, my husband, he is not great at not snipping back, right? Yeah. So, <laughs> so like, and both of us have learned, and again, has gotten so much better. But like, both of us have learned. It's like, okay, well, it's that the reason that we're a little bit more like that is because I'm in that time of my cycle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not yeah, because there's something wrong with us. Or right. And us. it doesn't have to be judgy. It's just to be like, okay, this is like true right now. Yes. So we can just work with that or we can fight it. But like, okay. Yes. <laughs> Understanding yeah. that this is like biology is, I think it's, uh, it takes some of the sting out. Yeah. Oh, it's so true. So just, it, that's a beautiful takeaway for people listening. Um, so I'm kind of curious, like I, when I work with people, I do all that other stuff, but I don't address anything nutritional, which is one of your main places of expertise. So like nutritionally and lifestyle wise, how, what do you suggest? Like, how can we support ourselves to navigate these times better? And, Mm -hmm. you know, not just during the times, but overall shifting, helping us shift those hormones a little bit. So I think about this um, hormonally, and then even just thinking about like, you know, brain and mood um, Mm -hmm. as as like hardware software, 
right? Mm-hmm. So the thinking about your emotions, understanding your um, your hormone state, understanding how to work through with your nervous system, um, how to calm yourself, what your relationships look like, all of that I think of as like, uh, that's the software, right? Mm-hmm. So that is required <laughs> for yes. functioning. But the hardware piece is also important. Like I, um, you know, been switching over from this uh, seven-year-old computer to a new computer recently. (laughs) It's like, no matter how many times I upgrade the software, when you're dealing with a seven-year-old computer, Mm -hmm. the hardware is just like, Mm -hmm. it's not working anymore, right? So Mm -hmm. um, when we have good hardware, which is like, what is your physical biology allowing for? Then it's easier that software to run well. So it's easier for us to think about and help ourselves walk through challenges because mm-hmm. we are in a better physical state. Um, mm-hmm. And I think they play off each other, right? So those are yes. like interrelated things. So with our hardware, um, the first thing I always introduce to women when they're thinking their hormones are out of balance is that even though like you and I have just been talking about our sex hormones, mm-hmm. Biologically, as far as our bodies are concerned, our sex hormones are what I call the small dogs. And Mm. we have other hormones that are the big dogs. And by big dogs, I just mean like they're like the puppeteers. Like when those things are out of balance, they are more likely to have a bigger impact. And then they are actually also going to have a downstream effect on the small dog. So our big dog hormones, Mm. number one is actually insulin. Mm. Insulin is just blood sugar regulation, right? Mm. So we don't think about that as a hormone, but it is. Um, And so if blood sugar is off, we're going to have a massive impact to energy and mood. Mm. Um, And typically I see mood and energy following blood sugar. So if blood sugar is dysregulated, like, I mean, I can just tell you, like, if it's, you know, if I, I rarely miss lunch, (laughs) let's Mm. say I missed lunch, Uh, happened more, you know, back when I was destroying my health. If Mm -hmm. I miss lunch and I'm like in a super low blood sugar state, and I came home and I was hangry and I'm like rummaging in the pantry myself. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like I feel so, I mean, it's like the Snickers commercial, right? Um, like, and I don't recommend Snickers by the way, but <laughs> <laughs> yes, <laughs> if, if you have that like Snickers, you know, hunger diva thing going on. And then if one of my kids walked up to me and is like, mom, what's for dinner? Yeah. Like, I'm going to bite their heads off and be like, right. why did you only ever ask me about dinner? Damn it. Like you didn't right. even ask me about my day. Right. So, right. But if I like was in a good physiological place, if I had lunch and it was a good lunch and my blood sugar was even, and they're asking me about dinner, I'm going to be like totally a better place to just Mm -hmm. answer their questions. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. The blood sugar Mm -hmm. insulin regulation, that's like uh, big dog. Number one, big dog. Number two is, uh, is cortisol, which is stress. And, and there is the psychological stress, which I think is what you were talking about, but there is physiological stress too. So things that are Mm -hmm. physiological stressors to our body, even including things like food sensitivities um, Mm -hmm. or digestive problems or just anything else that's going on with our physiology is going to impact our, our cortisol, which is our stress hormone, which is the second big dog. The last big dog is thyroid. And I, uh, you know, there isn't as much like we're our direct impact on that. Um, that's something you would want to look at with, mm-hmm. uh, with blood work. Um, but thyroid is absolutely a, a big dog and it tends to get dysregulated in, uh, in women, uh, mm-hmm. more, way more than, than men. So if I was just going to go back to like the first and easiest one to manage for like mm-hmm. for anybody who's listening, yeah, the yeah. first and easiest one to manage is, is blood sugar. Mm-hmm. Um, and the biggest challenge I see nutritionally for women with blood sugar is that they are um, under eating protein mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. overeating processed carbs. Mm-hmm. 
So when we undereat protein, first of all, protein is required for hormone production. It's also required for neurotransmitter production. So what's happening with your brain and therefore your mood and energy. Mm-hmm. So it's also going to impact our satiety, which is just like, do we feel full mm-hmm. or are we like going right. to be scrounging around in the pantry for, um, you know, the pack of cookies? So right. Eating enough protein, almost every woman I think uh, that I start working with has under eating mm-hmm. protein. And it's such a straightforward, I won't say easy, mm-hmm. it's such a straightforward mm-hmm. issue, but it's not necessarily easy because a lot of women are, uh, it's it's hard for them to get their minds around eating more protein. And then- Is there the, some sort of, sorry, is there some yeah. sort of like uh, like amount to shoot for, for protein? Yeah. So I definitely personalize it with my clients, but like the baseline level to be looking at is between um, Mm 0.8 and two grams, which I know is a wide range and two grams (laughs) of protein per kilogram of body weight. So if you went online and you like put in a calculator to translate your weight into kilograms Mm -hmm. um, and then 0.8 to two grams of protein for that, I would say 0.8 is actually really on the lower side, especially for women who have issues. So sometimes Mm. we have to bump up higher than that. And then you can drop down for, uh, for maintenance, but I would guess um, a majority of women would do that math and then they would track their food for a couple of days and they would figure out they were under eating protein. So that is like like a lot. Yeah. Easy step number one. Um, and then the overdoing the processed carbs, what happens is, uh, and there's a lot of, a lot of research behind this. When we under eat protein, mm-hmm. our bodies are searching for it. And so mm-hmm. we, we are overeating processed carbs really in an effort to satisfy protein needs that are not being met. And so then mm-hmm. that's when we're like, that's where we're, it doesn't matter if you have a sweet tooth or a salty tooth, right? You're going to be searching for cookies or chips. Yes. It doesn't matter. You're searching for something that you're not getting. And mm-hmm. so if you start with protein, it's way easier to chill out on the processed carbs because mm. we've gotten like that, that primary lever, um, yes. balanced. So, I mean, I, I could go mm. on and on about yeah, yeah. The, yeah. The, the food stuff and the lifestyle stuff, but I would say food wise, I would start with protein. Um, the mm. other thing, um, is, is sleep. Um, mm. so with our, Again, and I know like, especially like young moms and I don't know the age of everyone listening to this, but like Mm -hmm. when your kids are little, either if they don't sleep or they just get up, I had a early bird kid who got up at five every morning. Mm -hmm. Um, Just our sleep is maybe not as good and not as regular. And uh, it is like primary for Mm -hmm. hormone production. There's all sorts of uh, like, we have a circadian rhythm for our hormone cycles. Mm -hmm. So if our normal rhythm is off and you were mentioning sleep problems earlier, um, Mm -hmm. if if we don't get sleep in check, um, then it's kind of like this vicious cycle where we don't get sleep in check. Our, our blood sugar and stress hormone regulation will be off then the next day, then that's going to impact sleep the following night, then hunger and stress hormones mm-hmm. are more off the following yes, day. And yes. it just keeps going. And blood sugar, by the way, also massively mm-hmm. impacted by lack of sleep. So mm-hmm. it's a it's mm-hmm. a downward vicious cycle. Um, and if we can get sleep in order, we have you know better stress hormone, we have better thyroid production, we have better blood sugar, all of mm-hmm. those things get into better, into better balance. So mm-hmm. if I was just gonna say like two things to super focus yeah. on. Eat enough protein and mm. protect your sleep. Like it is mm. the most precious, valuable mm. thing. I love that. Well, and it's true. I, I, I personally, I stopped getting up as early as I used to for a couple reasons. Partially because I just was listening to myself. I was like, hmm, I think I, my body wants a little bit more sleep. And although it's like changed when I do my 
yoga or my meditation or eliminated some of it or reduced how often I do it, I feel a lot better because I'm getting probably an extra hour almost of sleep a night. Yeah. yeah. It is what, so I do a lot of, uh, I, I don't know if you're familiar with this from biohacking, but basically like yeah, yeah. I track all the things and I try mm. and like, <laughs> I try and see what like levers I can pull. Yeah. Um, and I've been wearing this little, like, it looks like a watch It's called a whoop strap. Um, uh-huh. People use aura rings. Like there's different kinds of trackers you can use, but um, like direct impact I can see mm. on like when I get sufficient sleep, but even like you know, quality of sleep and quantity of sleep, like when those are good, then my ability to do anything else the next day. So like, it's like, you you get a score for like recovery ability to do, you know, Mm. like like land your day. Right. And it's like, it's just crazy. And, you know, for a while Mm. I was also tracking blood sugar every morning. And like, when my sleep is off, my blood sugar is immediately funky. Like Mm. just instantly. Mm, fascinating. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. And then blood sugar's off and then mood's off. Like it just all is a cascade. Cascade. Totally. Fascinating. Well, so those are so that I love the simplicity of what you just shared, like sleep, <laughs> you know, protein. <laughs> with your life. <laughs> yes. <Yeah>. Yes. <laughs> are there any like top I know magnesium keeps standing out in my brain. I'm like magnesium. Yeah. I don't know, right? Partially yeah. for sleep, but um, are there like a couple supplemental things that you mm-hmm. you recommend? Yeah. So almost every woman, you're right, is is deficient in magnesium. Um, I've done at least one episode on magnesium. There's different yes. forms, so you have to be careful. Mm-hmm. Um, citrate is the form usually. Like if like if you know, just looking at like the common brand that everyone knows is is Calm, um, and that's mm-hmm. a citrate mm-hmm. form. Citrate's good for sleep. It also will make you poop. So mm, don't, yeah. you don't want to overdo the magnesium citrate at night because you might end up with the runs in the morning, which Issues. could ruin your day. So <laughs> yeah. be careful. Yeah. <laughs> um, glycinate is a is a good form. Uh, malate is a good form. Those those mm. tend to be good for sleep. And um nice. really like for a form besides citrate, um, like glycinate or something. I actually like recommend women just kind of keep going up until you hit that. It's called bowel tolerance until you hit the point where you might be a little loose in the day. Because most of us, again, like in our modern world, our food system is very depleted of magnesium. Even if Mm. you're eating a great diet, our soils don't have magnesium at the levels. So uh, most of us are walking around magnesium deficient. I can think Mm. of one person in the last almost decade that I know of who was sufficient on magnesium. Mm. (laughs) Like when I first started working with one person. Yeah. So like everybody in my house takes magnesium. Um, I take a pretty good, and I take a mixed, like I take different forms um, okay. and that does help with yeah. sleep. Nice. Um, good quality probiotic. Uh, mm. There is a direct relationship between what's happening in our gut, our microbiome, um, which yes. is just like the colony of good friendly bacteria that live in our gut. So we have a circadian rhythm dictated by the microbiome. There's mm-hmm. a gut brain connection again, like could do lots of, we could do hours talking about that, but yeah, uh, probiotics and even like probiotic foods. So like anything mm. fermented, yeah. cultured, um, those are good. And then there are some specific amino acids, mm-hmm. which are just kind of like if protein, when you eat protein uh, that I've been hammering home, you get amino acids. Like that's how we break that down in our body. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm cautious saying something like that up front, um, just as a general recommendation, because I do find most women have like different responses to different yeah. amino acids. But yeah. 
um, a couple that people can play with and it's easy because you, you know, if you don't have a good response to it, like you just, it clears mm. from your body really fast, but mm. uh, GABA would be one to try. Um, I was talking about, you know, GABA is a neurotransmitter that's affected mm-hmm. by progesterone um, earlier. So right. um, GABA is one for to try that a lot of women respond well to for sleep. Um, and then theanine is another generally mm. calming amino acid. Oh, um, I take that one. Yeah. yeah. And they work nicely together too. A lot mm. of women have good benefit from taking GABA and theanine together. Mm. Um, nice. I've started doing genetic um, assessment for women in my practice. So I actually can see what's affecting your body oh. and why you're not sleeping um, cool. from a genetic perspective, Amazing. like what nutrients, amino acids, whatever are are aligned with your biology. Um, mm-hmm. But there's not a problem with experimenting and amino acids are cheap. So, yeah. um, you know, those are two to to maybe try for for someone who's struggling with sleep. Yes. Wow. Amazing. And I know when I listened to your specifically your PMS podcast, I don't know what if you know off the top of your head what episode that was. It was way at the beginning. <laughs> yeah, it was in the beginning. Yeah. Um, it was like 13 or I don't know, somewhere down in there. Uh you just you shared a bunch of different uh foods and uh, supplements and su- such. So if people are you know, wanting to know more about that piece. That's such a great mm-hmm. podcast episode for that. So maybe I'll put the direct link to that one in the in the show notes so they can they can listen to more. Perfect. Um, yeah. Yeah. But I think that simplicity again of like start with the the looking at the protein and working on your sleep. That's going to help so much. It sounds like. Yep. Yeah. And and then blood sugar regulation also impacts um impacts sleep. So if blood sugar yes. is dysregulated, like one of the big things that can happen is um especially like uh women who are trying low carb or intermittent fasting or something like that, which I actually don't love for most mm-hmm. women. <laughs> mm-hmm. But the the impact uh can be that blood sugar crashes in the middle of the night. Mm-hmm. Um and then cortisol, that stress oh. hormone, will rise in response to the decrease in blood sugar in the middle of the night. So Ah, making sure blood sugar is solid during the day will impact Mm. your ability of your body to regulate that and not be waking up from a blood sugar perspective overnight. Yes. And that makes so much sense. It's like one of the questions I've always had about intermittent fasting, which I've never successfully really, or felt like was right for me for some reason is that blood sugar piece. Cause I'm always like, well, if I'm not, I always felt like I am a little sensitive to blood sugar crashes. And so yeah. like not eating for that long stretch. Um, yeah. Yeah. Not, not great for cycling women. Some women in menopause, like depending on what's going on with them, um, may be able to do some intermittent fasting. And I mm. kind of, for those women, I say intermittent fasting intermittently, which means you're mm. not doing it every day. Yes. Um, but I, for cycling women, I'm going to say like just about across the board, like 90 plus mm. percent of the time intermittent fasting is going to be worse on your hormones and physiology mm. than it is helpful. So I generally do not recommend it for any woman who is still getting a menstrual cycle, even in perimenopause. So amazing. Like I love, thank you so much for sharing that. Cause it is like, there's so much information out there. And for those of us who are sort of health minded or holistically minded, like it can be really confusing. So yeah. hearing from you who, you know, who's specifically an expert on this the hormonal stuff and women, um, women's hormones is, it's really helpful to hear yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. Do it. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, amazing. Is there anything else, uh, just to wrap things up that you want to add about high sensitivity hormones, anything along those lines? Yeah. 
Um, I will just say there is an overlap um, with high sensitivity and ADHD. So um, ADHD is an area that I'm starting to put more of my practice focus on. Um, I'll Mm -hmm. be doing like a, a I mentioned to you before we got on this, uh, on the episode, but a summit for that in the spring. Um, but there is yeah. uh, a correlation there. Um, I'm just going to say uh, from the women that I'm working with and also from personal experience, the, the, um, the shift right now is that, uh, older women and by older, I mean like over like 35, I don't mean <laughs> like <laughs> yeah. you're, you're in your golden years. Uh, the older women are, we discover it, um, because of a a child's diagnosis and women mm-hmm. present with ADHD differently than um than little boys do which mm-hmm. i think for years we had that that preconceived notion um and one of the kind of hallmark things is uh is high sensitivity so mm-hmm. um it, there's a much more of a um internal kind of look to uh to ADHD for women um but this high sensitivity mm-hmm. piece is there so I'll just say it's probably a majority, uh, minority, sorry, uh, of mm-hmm. who might be listening. But if you have a kid who's been diagnosed and you are yourself highly sensitive, it may be something to investigate. Mm. Yeah, that's so important. I've had clients who have discovered that they have ADHD during our time working together. And it's such, it's such a relief and so helpful to know that about oneself so that you can support yourself appropriately. I think any way that we can understand ourselves and our physiology is only going to be um, a positive, Um, Mm -hmm. whether that's your hormones, whether that's, um, again, anything that's happening in your body mood. Um, But it's, I think it can take away from the something's wrong with me feeling and it's like, oh, this is how my body is, um, which I'm just all in support of this is just how my body is and how do I work with Yes, myself and not be in a state of like something's wrong with me or I need to fight this like working with our bodies our minds our moods uh, our female hormones (laughs) all of that I love um, it is uh, is so important yeah and I think that's one philosophy you and I for sure share because it's when my when my people find me they're like and they they first they find me sometimes they find me before they realize they're highly sensitive and then they're like oh wow I'm highly sensitive and it there's so much relief there and so much um oh wait nothing actually is wrong with me even though I thought there was all my life <laughs> right and it's just so empowering for them and relieving for them yeah. um so yes to all of that <laughs> <laughs> Oh my goodness. Well, thank you so much for your wisdom. It was really educational for me and I'm sure for so many people. Um, So tell me, people can find you at your website. Where else? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, easiest place is just is uh, it's the website or Instagram. So um, and it's just my name. So my website is just christinemccarroll dot com, um, and my Instagram is christine dot mccarroll. Um, and my last name is a little weird, but it's M A C, and all of the consonants are double. That's the way to <laughs> that's the way to remember the last name. M A C C A R R O L L. L. <laughs> of course, that's Got a it. Got it. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, yeah, and we'll put the we'll put those links in the show notes as well, so people can go directly to them to find out more about you and uh, how you how you help people. Great. Well, thank you so much again, Christine. Absolutely, it was a great conversation. Thank you. 
and to everyone out there listening, be oh so well.